Can you guys hear me? I'm a little bit hoarse this morning. It's because I was trying to encourage some young volleyball players the last couple days. And uh, tell you what, when we sang that last song, uh, what's the name of that song? Resurrected? Resurrected? Resurrecting. That song, there's a... There's a video on YouTube, and uh, it's called, I think it's called Marky's Song. What's it called? Marky's? Marky's Story. It's about a young boy who's got a skin disease, and I think his skin, anytime you touch his skin, it actually falls off. Like, it's a really horrible disease. And he, there's a video of him, and I think these, uh, the group, is it Hillsong that comes? Elevation. Elevation comes to sing with him. The same guys that sing that song and wrote it, they come and sing with him. And he is sitting there in bandages and just looking like wretched. And he's got his arms up and he's praising. And I just love it. And then I think, I think of that young man. And I think of uh, yesterday, even on a volleyball court, when we have a generation of boys who, who actually would gather together and have a little huddle and pray before a game, no, it's just volleyball, but it's, they, they're actually doing stuff like that. They're praying before they play, and I think, man, there is another generation coming of leaders, spiritual leaders coming. Man, do we need to, we need to do far more than persevere. We need to uh, be really intentional. And so that's where we come into this uh, sermon today. And if you weren't here last Sunday, you might wonder what on earth I'm doing wearing these coveralls. And uh, that's what you get for not coming to church last Sunday. And uh, somebody tell me what these coveralls represent, these dirty coveralls. The old me, the old self. That's right. And so I'll just explain it. There's a couple scripture verses that explain it pretty well, but I'll explain it with Colossians 3. So Colossians 3 says this, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self and its practices. So this is my old self. This is like somebody becoming a believer, okay? And if you weren't here last week, this is, if you don't like watching a pastor undress on stage, then don't look, okay? But this is, this is what happens when we become a believer. Sometimes it's a little hard getting rid of the old self. But this is what happens when we become a believer. We take off the old self with its sinful practices and we leave that over there. And then we put on the new self. This is going to represent the new self. And we put it on, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. What's the problem? What do Christians sometimes think? Where do Christians sometimes get stuck? Right here. They try and live their Christian lives awkwardly in shorts and t-shirt. When they're supposed to be putting on these things so that they can actually get to work and, and actually be more like Jesus, okay? So, and these things, just like coveralls. I was thinking last Sunday, it's a little bit tough getting coveralls on. Anybody who's ever put them on, your foot always gets stuck right there, right? It's a little bit, it's actually, sorry Dan. That's a, not very unlike the new self in Christianity. It doesn't happen automatically. There are some things that happen automatically, and if you were here last Sunday, you remember what they were. And we touched on them. On that, in the moment where you shed off that old self and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, some things happen right away. You become God's kid instantly. You receive the Holy Spirit. 
You are justified, you are sanctified, and if you want to know what those words mean, go listen to that sermon from last week. But those things happen instantly, right in that moment. And those need to be celebrated, and we need to say, thank you, Jesus, that he does those things. But to stay there is, that's not our destination. Our destination as Christians is to put on the new self. And to put on the new you. That's what we're calling this series of sermons, the new you. But just to explain, we need to define what is the new you. Because that sounds a little bit weird. Some celebrities in the, uh, today and over the last several years, they have written books that taught, will use similar language. Put on the new you. Embrace the new you, or whatever they want to call it. That kind of idea, and it sounds a little bit similar. But there's, but here's what they're doing. People who write books like that outside of Scripture, they are saying, actually, why don't you put on the new you? I, they are going to pick a characteristic that they think is pleasing for people to have, and that they think the, the mass of society most people will identify with and find acceptable, and then they will say, put on that. Does it make sense? That's what they're saying. What's the difference? What's the difference between that and what we are talking about today? The difference is this. The new you that we're talking about based on Scripture is not something we pick. It's already predetermined what that character is. It's already chosen. It's already in place. We don't get to pick and choose what that character looks like. We don't get to pick and choose what the new, new us looks like. We don't get to pick and choose it. Because who is it? It's actually, yeah, it's the image of it, our creator. His character doesn't change. We don't get to pick what his character looks like. We don't get to make this stuff up. We just simply have a choice whether or not we want to become like him because it's actually all about Jesus. Does it make sense? We're not trying to become better us. We're trying to become more like him. We're not doing this to become uh, so that we get to be what we want to be. We are putting on the new use that we will become like Jesus. We will become like him more like him, okay? Does that make sense? That's what we're doing with a new you. So this new you, another word you could use that to, to talk about that from Scripture would be godly character. And there's several, the Bible is full of examples of people who have put on this new self. It's full of examples like that. In the New Testament, there's about at least five very specific lists that list off the characteristics of this new us that we should be transforming into. Because God, this is what I want to point out. God didn't call us to say, hey, Delan, I really like how you are, and so you can just stay right there. Because then I could actually be standing here in my shorts and t-shirt. But Jesus loves us far more than that. He wants to transform us and actually get us to wear something that resembles Him. That's a huge, huge difference in our world today. That is a predetermined character. The character is actually of God. 
That's who we're becoming. We don't get to pick and choose, okay? It's not something that changes over time. This is, God is who He is. And if you look in Scripture, there's a couple different ways you can talk about the new you, or if you want to call it putting on godly character, that's the same thing. If you want to call it fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's the same thing. This is what we're talking about, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is what? Love, joy, say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Against such things there is no law. That's what we're talking about, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about godliness. In 2 Peter, he lists off about eight or nine characteristics, and he says these are necessary for godly living. In 1 Corinthians 13, he, he talks about love. This is what this is. The love of Jesus, the love of God, this is the new us that he is transforming us to be. And in 1 Corinthians 13, there's about 15 different things that he says, this is what love looks like. This is what love is. This is what love isn't. This is what love always does. This is what love never does. He really describes it very well. And in Colossians 3, there's another list, and it's described as a list that includes this is what you need for holy living. For holiness. There's another list in Ephesians 4. He says, this is what you need to live a righteous life. And there's another list. What do all those have in common? They're talking about what? Yeah, the new us created to be like Jesus. That's very different than somebody who has only left that old dirty coveralls there, standing here in their shorts and t-shirt, That's actually where we're supposed to go. The question is, why do we want to go there? It's interesting to note, in these lists, there is overlap. There are some characteristics listed in each one of those lists in Scripture, and there's some of them overlap, some of them don't. None of those lists are exhaustive. But there's some overlap in each one of them. Love, for instance, is in each one of those lists. But I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you got to know somebody, maybe not like as a friend or whatever, but through the course of business or maybe you had a chance to make a deal with them or they're your neighbor or your family member or somebody, and, you, and all of a sudden it comes out that they're a Christian, and they're, they say it verbally. Yeah, I'm a believer, and I go to church, and all this kind of stuff. And in that moment, you're like, oh, please don't say that. Have you ever been there? Have you ever heard somebody say they're a Christian, and you're like, oh, man, don't tell anybody? <laughs> because you're making the rest of us look terrible. Have you ever experienced that? This has happened to me on occasion, and maybe I'm even guilty of having done this. But I've, I've, I've been with people that have told jokes that are like really off-color, dirty, disgusting jokes. And then in the next paragraph, they're telling somebody that they're a Christian and they're going to church. And I'm like, oh, this is wretched. Or you do business with somebody, and you know somebody is well-known for ripping people off so that they can, they can get ahead in their business, and then they kind of stride in the church on Sunday morning, and man, I'm giving a little extra on the plate today because I got extra money this, one, this week. <laughs> Ripped everybody off, praise the Lord. And you're going, oh, guys, right? There's a problem. Have you guys ever been like that? 
Have you ever heard somebody just slander the government, just rip them apart and slander their neighbor and slander another church and then throw that church under the bus and then brag about that they're a Christian? Have you ever seen that? Have you, ever seen, have you ever seen people be a little on the selfish side? That's a really an understatement. And, and they'll actually take their, their Christian brothers to court over a couple of bucks? Like, and I'm talking a couple of bucks. And this is happening in, in the church. It is really important. <laughs> Putting on this new you is a big deal. When we see Christians like that, if even as I go through some of those examples, and you can maybe think of when you have done that, or you've seen it in somebody else, you know what that's evidence of? That is evidence that we need to be putting on the new you. We actually, it's important that we start becoming like Jesus, because Jesus would not do those things. And it is actually listed right there in Scripture. If you would follow those, those lists right there, you follow them, you can become a completely different person. It's amazing. But we have, to ask, we have to fully comprehend this and go, why would we do that? Because the lie of Satan is that it's okay to stand here in our shorts and t-shirt and not need to put on the new self. We talked about that last week. Growing up, Satan lies to us and says we shouldn't grow up. It's not fun. Right? We talked about that last week. Today I want to give you nine reasons, and it's not exhaustive, but I want to give you nine reasons why we need to be putting on the new you. I'll refer to that. That also means why we need to be putting on godly character. It refers to all those five lists, okay? Those are all kind of synonymous. Here's the first reason. Tell me if this is a good reason. God commands it. <laughs> raise your hand if you think that's a good reason to put on the new you. Okay? Anybody who didn't raise their hand? Come on, sit over here in the front row, okay? <laughs> God says, clothe yourselves, and then he gives a list. He says an instruction to do it. He says, be holy in 1 Peter. In 2 Peter, he says, make every effort. And that's, he just listed like eight things there of what we need to put on in our life. And he says, make every effort to do that. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 says, run in such a way as to get the prize. This is, these are... Is this something that happens automatically? No, this is something that we need to put in effort and God commands us to do it. God gives us a command to clothe ourselves with the new you. To clothe ourselves with His character. He commands us to do that. I'll tell you this. I'm going to give you nine intellectual reasons why you need to be putting on the new you today. Those intellectual reasons will do absolutely zero if, you do, if, if, you don't, if that doesn't hit somewhere in your heart and the Holy Spirit doesn't light that up in you and show you where you need to change. Intellectual uh, information alone will do nothing in your life. So I'm just going to stop right here and I'm going to just uh, ask the Holy Spirit to come and, stir, come and speak to each one of us. And I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you if you agree that you are open to the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning as I go through nine reasons why we should be putting on the new you, then just say amen out loud at the end of that prayer, okay? Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, 
we just come before you and say, Lord, as we look at this topic of nine reasons why we should be putting on your character in our lives, could you come and speak to each one of us and just show us what you want to say to each one of us personally this morning? And all the people who agreed said, Amen. So God commands it. If God commands something, do you know what comes by default? There's two C words that go alongside. If, if your parents, I'm going to talk to everybody in this area over here that's under 20. Let's say that. Okay? If your parents command you to paint the fence, what does that mean? You have a, say it louder, a choice. It's exactly right. You have a choice. It doesn't, it's not something that automatically happens. Defense doesn't paint itself. Because any time that there is a command in Scripture, God actually gives us a choice to follow it. If it wasn't a choice, there wouldn't be a command because it would already be happening by default. So there's a command to clothe ourselves with this new character, but we have a, cha a choice to do it. I want to read 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. It says this, train yourself to be godly. Is that, a, is that something that happens automatically or is that a choice? It's a choice and what's the other word? It also starts with C. <laughs> when Paul says to Timothy, train yourself, what is that? It's a command. Train yourself, man. Do some push-ups, do some sit-ups, run a couple of miles a day. That's physical training. He's saying, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. And this is fascinating. Kind of keep this in the back of your mind for later. But this training yourself to be godly, the new you, holds promise for both the present life and what? The life to come. That's fascinating. Okay, keep that in the back, brain or back uh, of your head there. And this verse actually leads us to the next reason why God says to put on the new character or the character of God. Because it makes us fruitful and effective in this lifetime. There is a promise. This new you has promise for this lifetime. It actually makes you more productive and fruitful and effective in the ministry, in, the, in your Christian life. Second Peter says, if you possess these qualities, and in Second Peter chapter 1, he has just listed off, I think it is eight qualities that you need to have. Okay? Talks about perseverance and character and, and godliness and so on. And he says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being, what's the word? ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus. That is a compelling reason to put on the new character. Would you agree? That was not a hearty agree. And I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why it's very important. And then maybe it'll be a little bit more hearty. If you know, do you guys know what it says in John chapter 15? Jesus says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. Any branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, I'm going to... Actually, the Father is going to cut him off. 
And you know what happens to branches like that? If you don't bear fruit, branches like that are cut off, thrown away, and when they're thrown away, they wither, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Okay? If we put on the new you, it helps us to be effective and bear fruit. <laughs> Is that compelling? Or do you want to be a branch that doesn't bear fruit? Okay, no, it makes, it's very compelling for me to not want to have the Lord cut me off, okay? Just make some notes. Number two is it makes us fruitful, effective in this lifetime. Just put down 2 Peter 1 verse 8 and then write down John 15. Research that. It's compelling. Number three, it keeps us from falling away from the faith. Look at what it says in 2 Peter. Whoever does not have them, and again, he's just listed off these things, whoever does not have these characteristics of God is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make, what are the next two words? They're not yellow, but what are the next two words? Every effort. When you're putting on the coveralls and your foot gets stuck in there, it takes a bit of effort. But he's saying, that's okay. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election for if you do these things, you will never stumble. A lot of translations use the word fall. For if you do these things, then you'll never stumble and fall and you'll, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Putting on the new you, the character of Jesus, actually keeps you from slipping back into those old coveralls. Is that compelling? Like, come on, it's a slam dunk already. Like, we, we could have just stopped that God commands it. But God is so gracious to us. If your parents tell you to paint a fence, you should just go and do it. If they are really gracious to you, they'll explain why they want you to paint the fence. Oh, makes it a little easier to do it. It doesn't change anything. You're still supposed to paint the fence. God is so gracious to us that he gives us reasons why we should put on his character. It's amazing. Here's a good reason. Number four, it increases the power of our prayer. Godly character increases the power of your prayer. James 5.16 says the prayer of who is, is powerful and effective? A righteous person. Yeah, a righteous man. A righteous person, their prayers are powerful and effective. But righteousness has to do with living in godly character. In 1 Peter 3 verse 7, it's a challenge to husbands specifically but he's addressing exactly this. He tells husbands there, he says, you ought to live carefully with your wives and you ought to be careful how you treat them. You need to treat them, you need to be considerate and treat them with respect. And then he says, why? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. He's talking about godly character. If you don't have godly character, on in the privacy of your own home, your prayers are going to be hindered. And so this is just a question to husbands in the room. Has it ever felt to you like your prayers are just kind of hitting the ceiling and then coming down and they're just not going anywhere? anywhere? Write down this in your notes that you're taking right now. First Peter 3 verse 7. 
It says, it, those things, if we are not putting on this new you, and if that new you is not evident in your home when nobody is looking, it actually is going to hinder our prayers. That's a really compelling reason to want to put on the new you. Would you agree? And I would just say, if that, if that principle applies to husbands, I think it's fairly safe to say that it applies to all Christians. The godly character, if we are purposely not having this godly character on, our prayers will be hindered. Here's another good one. It qualifies us for ministry. Whew. I'm going I'm to burst a couple bubbles today, right? Okay, so have you... I'm trying to think if I should ask for a show of hands. You guys can do it in your hearts, okay? <laughs> Have you ever heard of someone else <laughs> who might have had this thought, hope God doesn't call me to be a missionary? Or I hope God doesn't call me into some kind of like, ministry in my church. <laughs> I hope God doesn't call me to be a youth leader. Youth leaders have to give up their Friday nights. I hope God doesn't call me to that. And you actually kind of, Lord, I'll listen to you about anything. Tell me something about how good you are. Tell me something about how I could make more money at my job so I could tithe more, right? <laughs> but we're scared that God is going to call us to ministry. Okay, I'm going to ask you to raise, don't raise your hand, okay, but just in your heart. Has that ever happened to you that you've thought that? Yeah, there's an honest person who says yes. Okay? I'm just going to say it probably has happened to each one of us. And you know what is exposed when we think that? It actually says that we're very, very selfish and full of unbelief. Because... Ministry requires us to become like God and put on his character. And when we say we don't want that, we A, don't believe that God is good or that he has our best interest in mind. And if we don't believe he has our best interest in mind, what does that actually mean? We don't trust him. Ooh. I'm going to tell you right now, at the end of the sermon, we're going to pray and confess unbelief and not trusting in God. I, I know it for a fact in my own life, and if I'm the only one who struggles with it, it's possible, I'll pray. Okay? That's how we're going to close the message, but we're not nearly done. Okay? Don't get excited. <laughs> but if it is, a, it is a lie from Satan to think that if God calls us to ministry, it's a bad thing. Here's the truth. God loves you more than you will ever be able to comprehend. Okay? That is the truth. He wants what is best for you for all of eternity. And He cares far more about where you are going to spend eternity and where your kids are going to spend eternity and where the next generation is going to spend eternity than whether or not you have a million dollars now or only 50,000. Okay? That's a little bit hard for us to grasp. But he, that is who God is. And He is so good. How many years are we going to be alive here on this earth? Ballpark. What's the average? 
80, okay? There might even be people here who are over average. But we're gonna, let's, just, let's just say that we're going to, on an average, we're going to be here for 80 years. Ballpark. If in those 80 years, God calls you to ministry, and you actually have to make some sacrifices in your life for Jesus, and you get to see some fruit on your branch, okay, is that a bad thing? Come on, guys, right? So let's say he calls you to ministry, and you see some fruit. You have to make some sacrifices to do it. And, if, and then you're going to go to heaven. And let's just imagine that heaven was only for 2,000 years. The time, about the time of, since Jesus was actually walking in Jerusalem, physically in a human's body, till today. That's about 2,000 years. If heaven was only 2,000 years, and for 2,000 years, you were known as somebody who had given up their lives in ministry. And you could see in heaven, a couple years after you get there, hey, that guy's in heaven today because I was in, my, I was in ministry. There's fruit. And for 2,000 years, you got to celebrate with just one guy. What a drag that 2,000 years would be, hey? Do you understand the lie that we have in our brains? It's Satan whispering lies to us that ministry is a bad thing. Heaven is a little longer than 2,000 years. Would you agree? Man, we are full of unbelief and actually mistrust of God. We don't even trust Him. Just so you understand what I'm saying is true. It, the new godly character, the new you, qualifies us for ministry. And in 1 Timothy 3, in Titus, there's a similar list. But he actually outlies, uh, lays out a list of requirements. If you want to be an elder or overseer, like a leader in the church, a deacon, he actually gives out, here's some lists, some qualifications that should be evident in your life. And it should be obvious to other Christians that you're wearing the new you. Okay? He lists them. And he lists things like sexual purity, self-control, being hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, uh, being gentle, not being quarrelsome, not a lover of money, must be a good leader in his home, must be, have a good reputation with outsiders. And he gives a whole list. The new you, created in, to become more like Jesus, qualifies us for ministry. But I also want to point out that that list that's required in order to be an elder or an overseer is not an exhaustive list. He doesn't give all the qualifications in that list. You know how I know that? I'll give you an example. There's lots of examples, but I'll give you one. Forgiveness isn't in that list. Do you think an elder in Pansy Chapel should be somebody who forgives? Knowing what the rest of us look like, better, right? <laughs> Is forgiveness an important thing to Jesus? Wow! You don't have to know a lot of scripture in the Bible to know that forgiveness is a really big deal. If you don't forgive others, God the Father isn't going to forgive you. Like, that's the kind of language Jesus used. But it's not in that list. Another one in that list is, is foul language. It doesn't, doesn't say in that list, elders can't use foul language. <laughs> Do you think elders are restricted? Just like everybody else? Yeah. The, the list isn't exhaustive, but it's an example. And he's saying that godly character is what qualifies you for ministry. 
And he makes some of them very clear. There are examples in Scripture of people who have been disqualified for ministry. Did you know that too? People like Moses and Saul and Eli were disqualified. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 27. So when Paul says, No, I beat my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. Do you think that Paul is putting on or putting in any amount of effort to keep on the new you? <laughs> He's using, like, how could he make you stronger language than beat my body and make it my slave? He is putting a lot of effort, and he is about to say, he says right there, he wants, to be, he wants to be able to earn the prize. Run in such a way that you'll get the prize. Here's another reason we should put on the new you. It helps us to win the war against the devil. Ephesians 6.14 says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And if you know anything about guys who wear armor with swords and shields and spears and all that, this plate that would cover like shoulders to torso and the whole bit. Is that fairly important to wear that? Yeah, if you don't want to take a fatal wound to the, the abdomen somewhere or in your heart or in your lungs, yeah, pretty important you wear that. And in that same book, he says, I'll give you an example. Anger, for instance. If you are not wearing the breastplate of righteousness, and suppose you are given to anger, which actually comes out of that old pair of coveralls. You are going to give the devil a foothold. That's what it says in Ephesians 4. And when he has a foothold, that means he's got a little traction. Now, he can get influence in your life and create all kinds of havoc in your life. Because you didn't have on the, the new coveralls. <laughs> The breastplate of righteousness is a much better example than the coveralls, but whatever. Somebody who is prone to quarreling and fighting. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know any Christians who are prone to quarreling and fighting? You know what they come from? Envy and selfishness. Jealousy. That's what James says. You know what those come from? Those come from those pair of coveralls, not from these. And it's because somebody who stands here in their shorts and t-shirt and is still dabbling over there. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, it actually helps us to win the war against the devil. Is that a good reason to put it on? It is. Number seven. When we put on God's character, it reveals Jesus to other people. What's the word for revealing Jesus to other people? Witnessing, yeah. What's the Christianese word? Starts with E. Evangelism. Yeah, exactly right. There's three different ways that the new you actually reveals Jesus to other people. One is through miracles, signs, and wonders. Jesus did a lot of miracles in the New Testament to reveal to people who he is. In the Old Testament, guys like Elijah, they prayed. Remember, he's on top of the mountain, prays, fire comes and consumes the whole altar, the wood and the stones and the whole bit. Miracles identify, and the people are going, wow, this God is amazing. Miracles, signs, and wonders actually reveal Jesus to other people. But so does suffering. 
Knowing Jesus personally is an incredible treasure. Would you agree? There's been times that, guys, I have gotten right giddy when I just feel like I've been revealed to me how good it is to know Jesus. I sometimes sing and shout in my truck at the top of my voice. I double-check my phone to make sure it's not on. And then I just sing some more because I'm so excited about who God is. Right? It's a treasure, but 2 Corinthians 4 says that treasure comes in a jar of clay. Very breakable. And when there's a crack in the jar, the light inside the jar spills out. And people know about Jesus because you got that character of Jesus and they can see it spilling out through suffering. If we actually believe, we know that God's good, we trust Him, we should actually say, yeah, I'll, I'll take suffering, I'll trials. I'm going to consider it pure joy when I face trials of any kind. If I trust God and know that through my suffering, people are going to get revealed. Jesus is going to be revealed to them. Amen? <laughs> I'm going to tell you a quick story. Tim, uh, Timothy Sills, uh, we prayed for Danny McKay recently. He went to Peru, mission trip. Bunch of people accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Baptisms, all kinds of good things happened there. Timothy Sills was one of the guys that went with Danny. Before they went to Peru, they had to get all kinds of malaria medication. And Timothy had a severe reaction to the malaria medication. It uh, resulted, I better get this straight, it resulted in the skin rash, in sweating, in fever, tremors, difficulty breathing, and intense swelling in his face and limbs. Here's the cool part. It only happened after they got back. Can you imagine if that would have happened when they were in the jungle? Like they are four days like a boat ride down the Amazon River in the jungle. Can you imagine if that would have happened out there? That wouldn't be cool. You know what's cool? When he gets back to North America, then he had this incredible reaction. And he goes and tells the he goes to the hospital, and the doctors say, they tell him, you are having a reaction to that medication. But it's impossible, because it never has a delay like that. And guess what happened? Through, I'll just say it's a sign and wonder, okay? When the doctor says it's impossible, but they're going, well, no, it's not impossible. It's just never happened before. But... Sign and wonder, and through his suffering, this guy is telling people about Jesus. He's told doctors about Jesus. He told the nurses about Jesus. He told his roommates about Jesus. He's revealing Jesus to people. It's amazing. That it can also happen through good deeds. Look at 1 Peter 2. It says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they might see your what? Good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. When you have this godly character on and you've got, you got Jesus loving you and you're going to go and do some good deeds, oh man, I can see people in our church right here this morning who are doing good deeds. And I know for a fact people are watching and they're going, why on earth are they doing that? Tell you why they're doing that. They've got Jesus' character on. They've got some love of Jesus in them. And it actually draws other people to Jesus. Number eight, it's, a, it's required in order to be effective in your spiritual gifts. Do you know that we're supposed to pray and ask God for and desire spiritual gifts? 
And if you desire the gift of tongues and you get it and you don't have this new character, guess what you are? If I just kept beating on that thing all day here, would that be cool? Yeah. We got, got a rock star in the making. But if I just keep hitting that thing, it's, it's actually quite useless and frankly a bit irritating. Except when it's in the right place. When we got a skilled drummer up here together with the band and we're praising the Lord and he hits that thing, it is amazing. In its place, the gift of tongues is amazing when it's coupled together with love, just like it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14. That's amazing. We're supposed to desire it, but it has to be together with the new you. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if you don't have love and you got the gift of tongues, you don't got love. This is love. It's nothing. You could be the most prophetically gifted person in the world. You can have enough faith to move mountains, but if you, if you don't have love, you got nothing. We have to have the go- our godly character. We have to have Jesus' character. Otherwise, even those things are useless. Here's one more good one. It determines our reward in heaven. Okay, I feel like we could have stopped at number one. God commands it. Good enough. There's amazing reasons here. This is compelling. Do you know that there's varying levels of reward in heaven? Are you somebody who wants to go to heaven and have a reward? Or are you somebody who wants to go to heaven and smell like you got singed by the flames? Because that's an option. 1 Corinthians 3 says this. No one can lay any foundation except that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, that's like rubies and emeralds, or wood, or hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day God will bring it to light. It will be revealed with what? Fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So when we do good things or any kind of deed in this lifetime, it's... you. I I like to imagine it like there's a steel plate, really big, thick steel plate. And every time I do a little bit of a deed, I get to put something there on my pile, okay? Everybody gets a pile, and then you put, okay, I kind of did something a little nice. There's a piece of dry grass, and here's another piece of straw. This was a little bit of a better one. It's a twig, (laughs) right? And you got a couple more of those. But if I do something in obedience to God... Like King David, who was known for his obedience, he would do whatever God asked him. That's like putting something gold in there, or silver, or a diamond, or a ruby. And this next guy has also got a pile building. He's also got some sticks and straw and stuff like this. Fire is going to come and burn those things. And then I'm just imagining here a little bit, but I'm imagining then a bit of a wind comes and... Blows all the ashes away, and then we get to look. Do you want to be like the guy who just does nothing here? Or do you want to be like the Christian who says, there's some, there's gems here, there's gold, there's silver, and costly stones, that's an option. 
Verse 14, if what he has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as on, only as one escaping through the flames. This is what we're talking about. That, those costly stones, this is the, the new you. I'll explain that if you're taking notes and you're not quite sure that this lines up. 2 Peter 1.11 says, after he gives a list of characteristics of God that we should put on, he says, if you do these things, you will receive a rich welcome into heaven. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, like we read before, it says, training yourself to be godly has promise for this life and for the life to come, right? Training yourself to be godly in this life has jewels or some kind of reward that God is going to give us in heaven. It's not going to be the same for everybody. Heaven is going to be the same, but there's a reward that's personal. Matthew 16 says Jesus himself said he is going to reward each person for what they've done. There's varying levels of reward. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, run in such a way as to get the prize, right? Last week we prayed and asked God for a desire that we would actually want to put on these new coveralls, this new you. Today, what are we going to pray for? I already told you. <laughs> if you're like me, I'll tell you what I'm going to pray for. I'm going to pray and just confess that there has been times in my life where I actually don't believe that God is good. And it almost seems like a bad thing to become more like Him. That's unbelief. And sometimes I don't fully... I haven't fully trusted him that if I give my life in service, it's going to be a good thing. And so I don't even know that I fully trust God. And I struggle with that. And I'm just going to come on my knees and say, Lord, I am sorry. And we're just going to start with repentance. And then next Sunday, we're going to build on this and start discovering what some of those characteristics are. That's where we're going in this series. If you're interested in joining me in prayer, I'm going to get on my knees and pray. You don't have to. You can do whatever you want. If you're not interested in praying, you can just sit there, put your hands in your pocket. If you're just most comfortable just sitting there like you are in praying, it's a hard attitude. You do whatever you want. If you feel like whatever communicates to the Lord your heart attitude, just do that, okay? We'll pray right now. Jesus, I come before you. Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me. I feel like I have really let you down a lot of times when I have this, uh, honestly, Lord, I've sometimes thought that it almost looks like a burden to become, to have godly character. And maybe some people aren't going to think it's fun or they're going to think bad things about me. Lord, forgive me for, for even entertaining Satan's lie that you aren't good. Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you would fill me instead with belief, knowing and trusting that you are good and that I know you have the best waiting for me. You have a reward, Lord, that you want to give me a reward, Jesus. Pray, Lord, that I would actually believe that in my heart. 
And those people who agreed with that prayer said, Amen.